Thank you, thank you. Uh, Susie and I are really blessed to be here for the second time. The last time, as you heard from Pastor Adam, we were here five years ago. And at that time, we were so loved by you. Uh, we'd never been into this area before at that time and uh, put us with one of the family. Uh, and then uh, we did such nice things, and this time as well. As well. Uh, but more than that, I just want to say thank you for partnering with us, uh, taking the gospel uh, to South Sudan. And um, um, maybe, of course, I'm from South Sudan. I was born and raised there, and it's very hot. And uh, yes, I am in a, a short sleeve T-shirt, but don't be deceived. I have a very thick jacket there. <laughs> Uh, it's cold. Uh, before I came, I asked Pastor Adam, and I said, the first important thing, how is the weather like? And he said, like, wet and cold. I almost said, no, I'm not coming, but... Uh. <laughs> All right, um, there's one verse uh, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, verse... Uh, 58, that I would like kind of base my, our sharing and our story with you guys. Every time we share at the church, uh, always uh, as an African, I'm challenged by what possibly new thing I can bring. Because this church is so rich. You have good teachers and, and the word of God is being expounded in amazing ways. But God always encouraged me. It's the story, right? It's what God is doing in our lives in that and standing before you and witnessing, it is true for the things that you know. So in this verse, it says, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Uh, this month, me and Susie, we've been in South Sudan for 20 years. And, uh, Yes, uh, South Sudan is one of those countries when we went there, was torn by a civil war between North and South, North being Muslim and uh, also more uh, developed than the South, and uh, the, the South with resources. Uh, so that was a challenge in itself. But the people who live there are very, very uh, lost, and I will get into that a little bit. But the question that now we look back, Susie and I, and we say it was not a lost cause to give our years uh, to uh, South Sudanese people to taunt. And why? Because of the power of the gospel, the, power, the transforming power of the gospel. I like what uh, Paul says in, <clears throat> in Roman, Roman chapter uh, one there, and we're all familiar with this verse, uh, he tells us that, uh, verse 16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. I, my story is that um, 
I was a refugee in, in Kenya, and I was looking for a better life. Uh, South Sudan, as I said, was torn by war. It was very risky to live there. There was a famine, and that's the last place that I would imagine to go there. But when I went there, and then God opened my heart and see the love of God in the people, the missionaries who came there, kind of I felt God was calling me. This is where I want you to be. And it was very difficult, very challenging. And we'll hear a little bit, Susie sharing the most challenges. For me, I'm from there, so it's not as hard. But for Susie, definitely it's a, a different story. So in this verse, it suggests for us that always mission, always sharing the gospel, sharing your story, there will be a difficult, there will be a time as if there is no fruit. There will be a time that you can just wanna, you want to throw the towel in and say, I give up. Or you look at yourself and say, what possibly that I can give? Lord, how can you use somebody like me? But I come back always to the place that God got my heart and saved me. Uh, growing in a very poor family and then without education, without food at the time. I remember there's a time in Khartoum going to school, no food, no lunch. I would go to the trash can and take the leftover and eat it. And uh, it, but like, how, God, how can you use somebody like that, God? But still, today I look at my life and where I am, I praise God because he gave me a family, he gave me a wife from the ministry, being obedient and just staying in touch. God opened so much opportunities travel and come here to the U.S. and go to other places and speak to people like you that I never uh, imagined or, or, or dreamed that I will do that uh, one day. So it's not a lost cause to persist and take that the gospel despite the challenges uh, that you can face. South Sudanese people are very challenging. Uh, the culture there is around cows around, you know, you have to work and fight for your rights. So there was always violence, they always fight. Um, corruption is huge. Government who steal government, um, uh, uh, public funds for their own and then take them out of the country. And, uh, and you see the problem that we have there, it's a hard problem. It's not absence of resources. It's not absence of food. God has blessed Africa, especially South Sudan, with water, with land. You know, you can, uh, at one time, they say South Sudan could be the basket of food for the entire continent. But we see the sin is the problem here. That's why we come back to this verse that Paul says. It is the gospel that can transform and change the nation. Some people are lost there. Um, the culture and tradition, they had a lot of um, Old Testament. Uh, we still, a lot of people give animal sacrifices because they're looking for God, the God. They don't know that God is Jesus Christ. So um, my clan, they worship grass and they think that grass is something sacred. So when you greet somebody, you always tell your name, your tribe, your clan, and the idol that you worship. Uh, I grew up uh, in, in South Sudan. One time we were in hut sleeping at night and my grandmother 
uh, with my grandmother. My grandmother couldn't sleep uh, in a hut. And then uh, and there was a fire in the middle of the room. And then all of a sudden, a snake comes in. And there, obviously, people live uh, sleep on a mat. And then she looked at the snake, and she starts talking to the snake. Do you know whose children these are? These are the children that they worship the grass that you walk in or crawl in. If you touch them, you're going to be cursed. You're going to be, you will never see life again. You are going to die. We were all sleeping, not knowing what's going on. <laughs> she tells us this the following morning. And then the, as if that snake listened and crawled back and left. And in the morning, she was very happy and tell us about how the snake listened to her threats and left us because of this grass that you worship and that protecting you. Till today, this is being practiced. There is a sense of guilt, there's a sense of sin, naturally, uh, that people always go to the witch doctor when their children are sick. We see this in the clinic. When their children are sick, and the medicine is not working and taking long, like in this story of a child called a dude, the mother and the father, they want to grab the baby and go to the witchcraft. And they know that we know because of our sin, because we upset one of the relative, or we didn't do one of the ancestors' uh, 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 promise that he asked us to do. That's why this is coming on us. We need forgiveness. And they go to the witchcraft seeking that. So you know there's a sense that they need forgiveness. There's a sense that they are broken. And only the gospel that can bring them to that truth forgiveness of the blood of Jesus Christ. Uh, not so till today they do, uh, they give uh, animal sacrifices. Some cases, very small cases that they would do animal, uh, actually human uh, when they are fighting, the witch doctors are huge. So people, they have influence on people in amazing way. People believe that they, they, they can, you know, curse or heal. Uh, that's what uh, we're dealing uh, with people there. Um, so we're going to hear from Susie now a story of why, like the difficulties through the challenges being obedient and giving the gospel message to the people, how that change and transform and bring hope uh, to the people. So Susie can come up and share with us. Good morning. Um, you know, Sabit, when he started sharing, he was talking about how difficult it is in South Sudan and um, and I'm not from there, so yes, it was a very challenging. And in the beginning, it was a, a war zone. So the story I want to share with you this morning is um, just about God's faithfulness. You know, I'm a fearful person, and people that know me know that I was the least likely person to live in South Sudan. I'm afraid of everything from thunderstorms to spiders to scorpions and snakes. And um, the first time I went to South Sudan, I wore steel toe cap boots, just in case I got bitten by anything. Um, and uh, I never wear flip-flops. Now I walk about in flip-flops. I walk through tall grass. I, yeah, I do it all. But um, this story started in 2001. And we were in Tanj. We were building our compound. It was early days. There was uh, really no way to get in and out of South Sudan unless a missionary pilot came and got us. So I had been sick, and I'd been sick a while, 
and uh, it was getting worse, and I could feel my body getting weaker. And I told Sebet, I think I need to get out, and I think I need to be in hospital, actually. I was losing a lot of fluid. And um, we have, every good missionary has Where There's No Doctor, that book, Where There's No Doctor, because there was no doctor. So we had that book, and we were looking through it, and we're trying to figure out what's wrong with me, and we figured that we, I probably had Giardia, which is a parasite, but uh, I was vomiting, which was unusual with Giardia, so we were confused. But because I was losing so much fluid, I really needed to be on IV, and I could feel that. So Sebit radioed. We didn't have any communication with the outside world, so he had the radio, and he was radioing MAF, Mission Aviation Fellowship, Africa Inland Mission, anybody we could think of. We, we talked to every organization in the area uh, within 100 miles of us to see if anybody had a plane. So Samaritan's Press got back to us and said, yes, we have a flight. Um, it's about a six-hour drive away on a really bad dirt road. You go to that place, a cot, and we can pick you up on Friday. This is Wednesday. So we decided we would go um, and drive on Thursday all day to get to the plane and stay at the Smertens Purse compound there. So on the morning of the Thursday, we, we, were up. we had checked, by the way, with everybody in our area, including, including the Catholics that were in our town at that time. They said they didn't have a flight. So we got in the car and the truck, and we're, bags are in the back, and we get in the car, and I'm now feeling really bad. It's ill. And uh, this pastor friend of ours came running in the gate, and he was very distraught. And he said, Sebe, Sebe, you cannot go, you cannot go. And we're like, what do you mean? He's like, no, 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 they're gonna, they're gonna ambush you on the road. You can't go, I heard people talking. And I just lost it, I just knew. I was like, God, I, I can't stay, I need to get out. Um, I'm gonna die if I stay. I literally could feel that, my body was so weak. And, um, and I start crying. And it's the only road to where we needed to go. And Sebek came and he, he put his hand on me and he said, it's going to be okay. God sees, God knows, we're going to pray. And he started praying. And as he was praying, we heard this noise in the sky. And we have to remember, we're in a war zone. And the way they attacked us was with the Antonov airplane would drop bombs. So when you hear an airplane, it's not always good. <laughs> so we jumped out the car. We were praying, but we stopped praying. We jumped out the car and we looked and we tried to see, was it an Antonov plane? And, um, and Sebit goes, I, I, that's not an Antonov. That plane is landing on our airstrip, which was about two miles away. He's like, get in the car, quick. So I jumped in the car. We drive down to the airstrip and there's a plane on the airstrip. <laughs> And the Catholic mission had forgot that they had asked this plane to drop something. They forgot to tell us because um, it had happened sort of last minute for them. And this pilot, these Russian pilots landed and they said, okay, go ahead, get in the, get in the plane. And I got in and there's nowhere to sit. The, every seat is taken. I got off, I said, wait, 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 I can't, I can't go. And he, the pilot was like, no, no, no problem. He gets the, the cooler, he shoves it up against the lunch cooler, against these two big fuel tanks that are in the back that we had to carry your own, you know, um, uh, aviation fuel. So they had these big drums with one strap around them. And he said, just sit there and hold on to the strap. I'm like, okay, I'm, 
I'm, I'm going first if anything happens. <laughs> and I literally, and this is the faithfulness of God. I, we took off and went up and down dropping people all over South Sudan and I wasn't sick and I didn't need the bathroom once, which was a miracle because I'd been going every like 20 minutes. And I, God sustained me all the way to North Kenya, Loki Chokyo. When I got there, Sebit had arranged a ticket for me through a friend in Loki. And it was a Friday night, and the guy, it was a Thursday night, sorry, and the guy said, um, you know, this is the last ticket back to Nairobi. Uh, so you were really lucky to get it. And I was like, okay, well, Lord is faithful. As I'm walking, and I'm walking with the ticket away from him, I see an AIM, an Africa Inland Mission pilot. And he said, hey, Susie. He goes, I said, well, Tim, are you okay? He's like, no, I've got these missionaries that need to be in Nairobi and I can't get a ticket. I've got this one guy is flying out in the morning and I can't find a way to get him to uh, Nairobi. He said, my plane was supposed to go, where? To a cut, but it broke down. So it ended up staying in Loki. So we would have driven six hours for nothing. God put an ambush in the road. And by the way, the, the army went with our car and arrested those guys. There was an ambush on the road. So we would have driven six hours for nothing. So God stopped it with this ambush, brought the plane, took us to Loki, the pilot saying, I need a ticket. And I'm sitting there going, oh, sorry. And I'm walking away. And I, I felt God say to me, give him your ticket. I'm like, you're kidding me. I'm so sick. Even though I'd been sustained at that point. So I go back. I get the guy my ticket. I'm like, I, I, I got a ticket. If you, if you can take me to Kenya tomorrow, to Nairobi, I'll, I'll give you my ticket. And he said, no problem. So I did. I went. And I, I went. And I still, I was not sick. The whole time I was in Lukichoki, I was fine. I... Um, got back to Nairobi the next day, and the minute I got in the, in the house, I was sick as a dog. I was really bad. I had to call my friend. She took me to the hospital. They admitted me right away, and they said, you have Giardia, and did you know you're pregnant? I was like, oh my goodness. <laughs> no, I didn't know, so that's why I was vomiting. Um, and they said, oh, we are keeping you here. You are not going anywhere. Well, you're on IV, and you're gonna be here for a few days. So my friend was the wife of an Africa Inland Mission pilot. So they radioed Sebit and they said, and Matt said, I'm going to go get Sebit for you. And uh, they radio him and they arranged to pick him up on the Wednesday. So he, you know, we had to time it really carefully because of the bombings. So he was at the airstrip and they got him and they brought him back to um, Nairobi. And then the very next day, we're out, we're out of Tanj. They dropped 26 bombs on Tanj the very next day, and we were not there. And the, we just saw, God, you know, it was so confusing. It was so scary. I thought I was gonna die, but you, Lord, are so faithful. You're so faithful, and you know what? He comes through. We call on Him, and He answers us. We don't see all that God is doing, but we know He's there, and He's working, and He's working behind the scenes. Thank you. God is faithful, and uh, He take care of us. Uh, even when He send you to a, uh, a situation that look impossible, He find a way, and we He gets us out of that uh, safely. As I said, uh, for me there was red flags going back to South Sudan. Everybody is trying to leave the country at the time, you know, seeking a green pasture. 
But when God asked me to stay, first, uh, me, and, me and Susie, we never went to higher education, like it's just high school, that's about it. Maybe a diploma, going to Bible school, that's about it. So feeling like inadequate, inadequate. Like what, what possibly can I give to the people there? And uh, they asked me just to translate. Yes, you know the Dinka language, uh, you know Arabic, and, uh, and, and, and the missionaries who are coming, you can help and translate. I felt that wasn't enough, but I said, God, yes, uh, okay. Uh, I will stay and do it. That reminds me a story in Peter, in Acts chapter 10. We are all familiar with the Cornelius story. And uh, that story encouraged me because Peter, you know, growing as a Jewish boy, they have this diet, they have this way of life that God has given to them, right? But we see in that story that God uh, bringing that, the sheet with all kind of animals and creeping things and ask him to eat. And Peter like, no, in, in, in 10, 46, he said, not so, Lord. And that kind of like oxymoron, yeah? Asking God, Lord, but also the same thing, same time you say no. And I like that because in mission, that's all the time. God asking us for something, and you look at yourself, you look what you have, and I'm like, God, I cannot do that. Every time I come to the US here, no offense, uh, I love the food here. I enjoy, when I go back, like I put like six, seven kgs. And, uh, <laughs> but every time I come, I, I, I find people are talking about a new diet. The first time it was about organic, organic was huge. The second time it was about, um, uh, what's the, 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 the flour, what do you call it? Gluten free, yes. <laughs> and, this, and this time it was about a diet called a ketogenic diet. And I'm like, man, people here, they are so, like, uh, to me, like, fussy about their food. <laughs> and, uh, and, and it reminds me, Peter, God's like, get up, kill, and eat. I know the meat eaters here, they love this story. And, uh, <laughs> and, and he's like, no, so Lord. But God using a diet here to change his heart. The big issue was Peter going to the Gentile and being obedient and working against what he's being raised to, what his custom, what his culture, what his comfort zone. You know, he didn't know that God has something huge. He's going to use him in a huge, amazing way. That's later on we see that God poured his Holy Spirit on the Gentile and that was one of the key event in the first church that God would say it's okay to take the gospel message to the Gentile. All of us, we are Christian. All of us, we are believers. And that message, you might say, no, I'm a Christian. I know all that. But guess what? Peter already was a Christian. Peter was already walking with Jesus. He heard Jesus telling him, you know, food doesn't defile man. It's the heart that defiles man. It's not about washing. It's not about ceremonies. It's not about, you know, certain way of life, but it's about the heart and about being obedient. And we see Peter in this chapter, he was struggling with that, right? A guy who walked, he was one of the key disciples. And we see later on how Paul kind of confronted him because he's always, he see Gentile, he's kind of want to keep 
for himself. And I look at us today as a Christian, I know we love the Lord and we love God and we say, yes, God, send me, here I am. But when God starts working in our heart, we will see the diets that we're sticking into. Not, not, not the food itself, but the things like the diet, the things that are our comfort zone and we're holding into them and they become you know, a barrier between us and obeying, uh, obeying God. Obedient, that's what God wants us to do. Uh, one of the things that was really hard, and I'll share this story before Susie come and tell us another story, is that um, the, after being 20 years, uh, the last two years, that's, we, we just started seeing fruit. We just starting God working in an amazing way. So uh, the, about three years ago, uh, there was a big conflict between uh, the Dinka people in Torrent there and the Lua tribe, uh, their neighboring communities. And we have this Che uh, the training that we do. We go out uh, to these villages, to the Lua villages, and we teach, and they come to us, and we do this training. Uh, and then this fight and killing start happening. And one of the, the villages called Bobi, the pastor's name Santino, was a key uh, team leader in his village, being the chief. And uh, one day, a bunch of youth guys, Dinka guys, went to his village and they start shooting and stealing the food because they, you know, they're upset about something that they have done. And they killed him. And uh, it was very tense. Usually when you kill, then there's a revenge. And everybody was intense, like the Lua's now, they're going to come and they're going to revenge for their chief. And as we're waiting on that, Lord put in our heart, in our team, to go and pray for those people who uh, their, 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 their father was killed and take food and take uh, supplies. And we tell them it's not about the tribal. It is about us being Christian and we don't agree with what happened. We want to let you know. We are dinkers, but we want to let. And then we went. It was risky. And when we went actually going from house to house to see the affected house, we found a bunch of young men that are ready being like lectured so that they can take arm and go attack. And then when they saw us, we giving food, we giving mattresses, and, and then praying with this family, God somehow brought peace into their heart, and that attack revenge never happened. And, and, and then from there we learn, it is not that just sharing you know, and coming to the church, but it's living with people, it is, uh, being there in the time of uh, need. Me and Susie, a lot of people come to us and tell us, we really start paying attention to what you say because you didn't leave when they were bombing, the uh, bombing our place. You stayed with us when there was an outbreak. That's when we start paying attention to the message that you are saying because if you didn't really believe in it, you won't hang around. And this last year, the first time this has happened to us, we have one missionary coming from New Zealand, 
And he came before, built a house for our, uh, the other family, the doctor family that were with us there. And then that time was really hard because we were here in the U.S. And uh, they were eating beans and rice and things were really difficult. Susie wasn't there because she's the one that take care of everybody. But this guy, Richard, came back again. And this time was building the new world that you've seen, uh, laying the foundation. And after a Good Friday service, he was reading his Bible in the morning. He fell down and had a heart attack and he slept away between our hands trying to do everything. It was sad for us, but we know, we knew, we know that he loves the Lord. We know that he's in a better place. And when we ask why God, we know God wants to use his death so that the message, that gospel that we share, people will see it and hear it and say, it is true. Otherwise, why would they come and die here? Yeah. You're not going to give your life for something that you don't believe in. And that's, that's one of the encouragements. Susie has one last story she's going to share with us. Uh, if she can come up and share with us that story and then we wrap it up. So, um, you know, Sibit shared we've been in Sudan since uh, 20 years this month, was, was my first time to go. And we always said we'll never do medical. There's no way, God, just don't even put it there. So here we are with the clinic, and they actually upgraded us to a hospital last year. And, um, and I, I, I've learned a lot from that lesson of saying never to God. Just don't ever <laughs> do that. Um, but how did we get a hospital? How did two non-medical people that went into a country with backpacks, hitching rides on airplanes because we didn't have any money, how do you end up with a hospital um, and you know, treating 52,000 patients? Well, it started back in um, 2005. Uh, our youngest was uh, a baby, just a few months old, Jedediah, and um, I was nursing him. And we had a father who came to us. Now, you have to understand we're in a village, we're in a town, but there's villages all around us. And the community is quite large if you count all those villages. There was no medical help for over 100 miles. And God had been speaking to Sebet and I about being there with our children without a medical uh, facility anywhere near us or doctor. And it's super expensive to get out because you have to charter an entire airplane. So, you know, we were praying about that. We were taking that seriously in our minds. We were not thinking medical clinic, let's open a medical clinic. We were just wondering what that looked like for our children. So this man came in the morning weeping with this tiny, tiny baby that had been born in the night. And he said, you know, my wife, please come, please come. And gosh, lots of people say that. And if you're white, you're a doctor. That's the end of the story. <laughs> so I'm trying to explain to him that I don't have any medical training except my little book that I read like the Bible, you know, that where there's no doctor. I kept that one really handy. So I look at this child and she's probably got pneumonia and she was super tiny and underweight and born early. And, the, and then he said, but my wife, she's, she's going to die. You need to come. So we drove to his hut. And sure enough, the, the mother's laying on a mat and she had, um, you know, she was unconscious. She was like not, 
she was breathing, but she was, you know, not able to have, a, you know, any conversation. And we picked her and put her in our truck and we drove to the Catholic Mission because the Catholic Mission had a program for TB. So we thought, well, they've got some medical people there, uh, not their sisters, they're not really medically trained, but they, they treat TB patients. So when we got there, they, this family had already been, the, the father had already gone there and been told, I can't help, we can't help you. So Seb and I said, okay, we'll go, we'll talk to them, maybe they'll open the door and let, let, let us in. So they did, they took the mother, they said, look, this mum is gonna die probably, we'll treat her, we'll put her on IV, but there's not really much we can do. She's got malaria, she's got pneumonia, um, she had given birth prematurely, and the baby also had pneumonia. Um, so they said, go find a wet nurse. And we looked around and we looked for someone to nurse this baby that was now getting almost to be 24 hours old and hadn't had any food. So um, as I was looking for the wet nurse, God said, what about you, Susie? You're nursing your baby. What about you? Why can't you do it? And I was like, oh, gosh, that's ridiculous. I'm not going to feed this baby. I mean, you know, that's not what I'm here for. Uh, well, really? Okay, so <laughs> I, I ended up, so that trip, I never carried my, my, my breast pump and my sterilizing tablets and stuff, but that trip I did, and I didn't understand why, but I did. So I, I, I had it and I started uh, expressing milk for this child, and I, every four hours, someone on the bicycle would come and pick up milk from us and take it in this little sterile cup back to this baby and they would feed the baby with a spoon and they'd come back every four hours like this. This went on for two weeks. This mother was still really sick. On one of the trips back, um, uh, now th the funny part of this is everybody in the town heard that I was feeding the baby, everybody. So they all went, the Catholic were even complaining to us and saying, you know, they're coming. <laughs> in droves to see this baby. They want to know what color it's going to be. <laughs> I mean, they had all these superstitions that my milk was going to change the color of this baby. So um, everybody also saw that this woman was deathly sick and probably was going to die. So on one of the trips, the guy on the bicycle said to us, you guys, we've been told that the mom is gonna probably die today. She's not gonna make it through the night. And we were just grieved by this. It was a Sunday, so we called our church to just gather and pray. And it was the most beautiful thing because I had seen our, the believers that we had been reaching out to and had become to Christ. We had seen them, but this was now really the first time we saw them practice their faith and, and love on their own people. So this church gathered and to the point of crying, praying, and people were weeping for this woman and asking God to save her life. And they were crying as they were praying it. And the next four hours, the guy came back for the milk and he said, hey, he goes, something really weird happened. This lady woke up and she sat up and she started eating. And then, and the sisters are very confused by this. <laughs> so we said, wow, this is amazing. Everybody was rejoicing and we kept feeding the child. The next day the guy comes back, he says, hey, Sabit, they want you to come and get her. They're releasing her to go home. She's killed. 
She's got no pneumonia, no malaria. She's fine. They need to send her home. We're like, what? So she went home. She came back with the baby and uh, a couple of days later, and she said, I want to call my baby Susie because she has two mums. And she said, if you hadn't fed her, I would never have met her. And, um, and then uh, right after that, about a week later, she came with the baby, and the baby had a fever of 107. And that was when I realized, I feel so helpless, God, because I'm now attached to this child. I now have fed this child. I have loved on this child. I've held this child. I want this child to live. I really want this child to live. But it just felt so hopeless. So we prayed. I asked her to stay. I had absolutely nothing to help her with. We held the baby a few hours and she died. And she died while I was holding her. And the mum falling down and crying, she, it, it, she kept crying in Dinka. She kept saying, why God, why God, why God? I just remember that. And I remember saying, um, you know, take, you should have taken me, God. You should have taken me. Why did you let me live and the child die? And I just felt, my, my hand went out over her and I felt God say to me, I'm merciful, I am merciful. And I knew that God was going to give me an opportunity at some point, I didn't know when, to, to, to tell her that, that he was a God of mercy. And um, anyway, she did come back a few days later. We were a little nervous because we're like, okay, we've been feeding the baby. Will they think that something I did caused the baby to die? Because there's a lot of superstition. So we were a little nervous about it. But she came and she came with such love for us and appreciation. And she said, no one has ever done anything like that for me that you gave me that gift of knowing my child. And she said, and I said to her, well, you know, you can see your baby again. You, you do know that, right? I, I can share that with you. And she said, how, how, will, how will I see the baby again? So then I shared with her, I, I believe, and I truly 100% believe this, that babies go to heaven. And so I told her, if, if you were going to go to heaven, you would see your baby again in heaven. So Sebit gave the gospel to her in Dinka. She cried, she's crying, she fell on her knees and asked God to forgive her of her sins and said she wanted to see her baby again in heaven, received the Lord and, um, and, and uh, you know, left, left our, our place, shared with her husband um, the gospel and today is still a believer. Um, and when we went home on our next home assignment, which was right after that, that happened, a, a, a friend said to us, why don't you guys get a doctor? We're like, what? And they're like, get a doctor, you know, for your kids. And we're like, you know what? That's not a bad idea. We should just hire somebody from Uganda. And uh, I know you guys know Dr. Muku, but he, he helped us get a doctor for South Sudan. And we came in, the next time we came in, we came in with a clinical officer um, for our family, was primarily for our family to have somebody and then to help the, the community in situations like this. Very dumb, very naive, because I thought, oh, we can just keep this guy in this little, you know, hut for ourselves. Uh, <laughs> but as soon as people knew we had a doctor, 
they were coming in droves. And, and the cool thing about, about this was when we flew in, the next time we flew in with that doctor, our staff came to us and said, there's, a, there's, a, there's something going on. People are dying, 15, 20 people a day. We don't know what's going on. And it, it turned out there was a meningitis outbreak and we'd never had one. And so uh, this guy was able to not only diagnose it, but Samaritan's Purse helped us get medicine in. And we were able to, I mean, we had people hanging from, you know, the IVs were hanging from trees. We had people under every tree on our compound with IVs attached. Uh, and um, that outbreak uh, was the first of two really serious outbreaks that we um, experienced. But that's basically what birthed our medical clinic. We didn't have a building. We didn't have anything. You know what? Clinic, like church, it's not really about the building. <laughs> it's about the love and loving people. And so they just saw us. One, I didn't leave when that meningitis outbreak happened, even though my children were not vaccinated. And two, they saw us like we were willing to do whatever God called us to do. Even if we're not medically trained, we were willing to put ourselves in that position and say, okay, Lord, here I am. You know, we say, here I am, send me. We say that, and I'll do whatever you say to do, God. But like Sebit said, uh, am I really willing... And just for the, your information, I was a vegetarian 15 years before. And my first year in South Sudan, I was a vegetarian. Just for one year, then it stopped. <laughs> uh, because otherwise I wouldn't have eaten. So, yeah, I, I laid it all down when God says lay it down. Lay it down, lay down your children, lay down your, your rights, lay down your life, lay down, you know, all of your wants and needs, lay them all down. Not some of them. And it's a hard thing to do. I'm just going to say it's not easy. But God is so worth it. He's so worth it. Thank you. Thank you. As, as, as I pray, I just want to leave you with that. Uh, we have a, a very powerful message that can transform and change life. And you are blessed to be in a place where you get the word of God and also have the resources like Pastor Adam said that not just in Africa, but here. I hope our testimony is just, it's a testimony to God's faithfulness, that God still works, he uses people, he can use you, he can use to change and have a greater story. And uh, I believe with all my heart, till today he does so many if we start telling you the stories about healing just through prayer one of the pictures the little girl with her eye that this just through prayer she got completely healed after we send her to a hospital they couldn't do anything coming back and then that tumor gone away god is faithful i hope that's encouraged you let's pray father lord i thank you uh, and I thank you because um, you did put in my heart and Susie's heart to obey your calling. I thank you because it is your work and it's not ours. I thank you for your faithful saints here, Lord, that who I know they want to take your gospel message, that you would bless them, Lord. I want to thank you for the things that they do in this community and all over the world, Father. I pray that they will see the fruit and that they would give you the glory, Lord. And when we go to heaven, Lord, we all enjoy that because of you, Lord, and what you've done for us. Thank you, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. 
If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.